Colossians 4, um, uh, we, we end this little study today. Um, we've been here kind of throughout the fall um, and it's been awesome. I've loved uh, just looking at what God revealed to this church at Colossae through the Apostle Paul. And, and actually, as we're gonna think about today, it's kind of amazing to think about how God speaks and, and how profound the inspiration of these little letters are. I mean, this is a letter that God inspired and through, he's instructing us right now. This little letter that a guy sat down and wrote in a jail cell by the power of the Holy Spirit, God through this is now speaking, you know, almost 2,000 years later to his church here in Atlanta, Georgia. It's an amazing thing to think about. Um, But I do invite you to turn with me to Colossians 4. We're going to look at verse 7 through 18. Of course, we believe that these words come to us today with with authority. Um, And so let's hear together the word of the Lord. Colossians 4, beginning in verse 7. Tychicus will tell you about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose. You may know how we are, that he may encourage your hearts. Coming with Tychicus is Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you've received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only ones of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. But they have been a great comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Jesus Christ, he greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Arapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church that meets in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read to the church of the Laodiceans and see that you read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received from the Lord. I, Paul, Write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, you know, one of my favorite uh, parts of, uh, of a movie, as the shades come down, um, is the uh, epilogue, or is an epilogue, or a favorite part of a book. And, and not every book or movie has this, but you know, there's some movies and they'll have a, they'll, they'll kind of tell the story after the story. You know, such and such character went on to do this and such and such a character ended up to do that. And I, I, I love a good epilogue and kind of the stories after the stories. Whatever happened to these, these guys that were in this, this movie or this book that I just read? This is not really that, but it's kind of like that. 
it's, it's kind of fun to think about, you know, here's Paul, the, his life, he's in this Colossian uh, prison, but he's in this Roman prison, rather, writing these Colossians, and he's surrounded by this cast of characters, and, and he sends these greetings, and he sends word to people, and I actually think that there's a lot to learn from this. You know, I was talking to somebody right after the nine o'clock service, and they said, whenever I get to Paul's little list of names, I kind of skip over it. And I think we can often do that. It doesn't seem very instructive or theological, but there may be more instruction in these names than you think. Uh, He gives 10 names, and, and their stories and how the Lord used them, I think it's actually very important for us. You know, these are not well known people in history, even in church history. But I actually think that's really instructive to us because none of us are really going to be (laughs) well-known in history or in church history either. But it's not our legacy before men that matters. It's our legacy before God that matters. And in God's church and among God's people, God used these people in profound ways that, that again, I believe is encouraging to us, instructive to us. And, uh, and helpful for us. So I, that's really what I want to do today. It's kind of a simple sermon, a little different than normal. I want to just kind of give some sketches of these. The first one is Tychicus. Again, you know, not something that we normally name our firstborn. But Tychicus, uh, what an interesting character. So I, I'm about to scroll in the slide. So if this makes you dizzy, you know, you can close your eyes for, you know, a second here. Um. So Paul's writing these letters in Rome. And we really believe that, that Paul wrote from this Roman prison, and this would be early, early to mid AD 60s. He wrote this letter, the letter to the Colossians. He also wrote the letter to the Ephesians. And he wrote the letter to Philemon. And, and I believe that all three of these letters were actually delivered at the same time. They were, they were kind of sent in this one message in this one travel. And it was Tychicus. He was the carrier of the letter. So I mean, just think about this incredible assignment. Here's this guy. We don't know much about Tychicus, but here he is, this faithful guy that, you know, much of the New Testament, I mean, has anyone here, has, any, has God spoke to anyone in a profound way through the book of Ephesians or the book of Philemon or the book of Colossians? And I just think of, you know, here's Tychicus. He's carrying these letters along, and it was a pretty strong and arduous journey, you know, to where, so Ephesians, or Ephesus rather, is kind of right in here. Uh, Colossae would have been kind of in here. Laodicea that he mentions, Erapolis, these are all kind of right in here in Asia Minor. But it, it, was, a, it was an arduous journey at that time to cross land and sea to, to go and deliver these letters. You know, Tychicus had proven himself to be a, a courageous guy, um, we, we first meet him back in Acts chapter 20 on, on Paul's third missionary journey. And uh, he was a courageous and faithful partner for Paul in his ministry. And, and look at the high praise. I'm going to scroll back now, so you need to close your eyes. Um, look at the high praise that Paul gives him. I love this. I love these three ideas. He's a beloved brother. He's a faithful minister and a fellow servant. I mean, don't you, don't you want that to be known of, of you? I want that to be known of me. To be marked by my love. Jason is a beloved brother. He loves. He is marked by his love. Oh, that that would be known about our church. That we would be first and foremost known with, with how, how 
deeply and how faithfully we love one another. He's also a faithful minister. Minister, really, this is this idea of, of servant. He does what the Lord asks him to do. He's faithful in all that God asks him to do. And then actually, the, the word for fellow servant, we, we, we don't translate it this way because this is a hard word to kind of hear and it brings up uh, this harsh reality. But, um, but in, the, in the New Testament, in, in, the early, in the first century Rome, it would have been a different word for people to hear. They would, have, they would have heard this word in a different sense, but the Greek for servant there is, is doulos, which is, is really more rightly translated slave. And, and what he's saying here is that Tychicus, he's, he's, a, he's a fellow slave in the Lord. He, he is in the household of the Lord. His identity, his wealth, all that he is, is wrapped up in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all the identity that he has. May, may this be said of us, beloved brother, faithful minister, slave of Jesus, one who is totally under the authority of Jesus. And that's interesting because the, the second person that he mentions is actually a slave. It's Onesimus. Now, Onesimus is an interesting character in the Bible. He's, he's a big part of the book of Philemon. If you've ever read the book of Philemon, it's a very short book. You know, if somebody says, read a book of the Bible before you go to bed tonight, I would read Philemon, you know. It's one chapter. It's very short. It's a small letter. We actually read Philemon or studied Philemon a couple years ago. I, we looked at it in one or two or three sermons, but we did a deeper dive into that book. But Onesimus was a runaway slave. He had run away from Philemon's household. And I don't know the whole story, um, but he had he'd probably stolen something from Philemon and he ran away in shame and he made it all the way to Rome. So I just showed you the map. I mean, this is kind of a, it was a far way for Onesimus to make it. He came, came, went all the way across and he was trying to get away in Rome. Now, he was a runaway slave. There wasn't that many opportunities for him. So again, I'm just using my imagination a little bit here, but I'm guessing that he ran out of money. He took to doing something he shouldn't, and he stole something, stole food, stole money from someone, and here he winds up in prison. Now I can imagine the conversation. He meets Paul. And Paul says, hey, Onesimus, where are you from? And Onesimus says, well, I'm from Colossae. And Paul says, oh, man, you know, Colossae, there's a great church there. It meets in the house of Philemon. And Onesimus says, oh, yeah, I mean, I, I actually used to work in that house. And, and, and they begin this relationship. I, I, love, I love the way that Paul, and you see this here, and you see this in the book of Philemon, the way, the way Paul loves Philemon, or rather Onesimus, the way he talks to him. And of course, Paul leads Onesimus to faith in Christ. And he writes this letter. It, what's amazing that's happening here, I mean, that, that, that's significant what's happening here. Paul is sending Onesimus back to his former master, and he's saying, look, he's, he's a good man. Go make amends with him. Go, go submit yourself to him. And he sends him with this letter, Philemon. And if you've read the book of Philemon, basically what Paul says in the book of Philemon, he says, Philemon, receive Onesimus back, not as a bondservant, but as a brother in Christ. And he may be a part of your household then, not, not just for a term, not just for a, a, bond, a bond term, but for, forever as your brother in the Lord. Look at, uh, this is from Philemon 116, Paul says, you know, receive him no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. 
and he has been this especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Now, there's so much more I could say about the, the, the story of Philemon. Again, we, we did a little sermon series on it that I encourage you to look at. But this letter, that, that, that letter was so profound. You know, I spoke on, on, on slavery a couple weeks ago in scripture, and it was different than how we understand kind of American chattel slavery. It was really more, the better way to understand it was just more of like employment. You know, you were either in Roman times, the owner of land, the owner of a shop, or you worked under the owner. You worked as a, as a slave in that household or as a slave in that marketplace or whatever it was. This is a little different than we understand it, but, but Paul, the reason that I love the writings of Paul is, is he's actually always subverting this idea. And he's saying we shouldn't treat people as a master and slave, but in Christ we are one, we are brothers, not as master and bondservant, but receive him as your brother. And this idea, it's so impacted this whole region and it still impacts us today. Paul then gives greetings from other brothers. Oh, one more thought on this first part. He, he, he says, you know, Tychicus and Onesimus, they will, they will fill you in, right? They'll, they'll encourage your hearts. They'll, they'll tell you of everything that has taken place here. And what's interesting, and this is actually just, this is a little Bible study tip for you. Paul knows that every letter he would have written was a public letter and it would have been screened by Roman officials. I mean, especially he was in prison, Right. And so every letter he would have written would have been screened by officials around him. Now, what's interesting about this is Paul knows that he, the, the, these officials are reading his letters. And so he, he oftentimes in his letters will, sometimes he'll leave some details out. That's what he's doing here. He's saying, there's other stuff I need to tell you, but Tychicus is going to have to tell you. I can't write it down. But he, he also will instruct the officials. You know, I think of Romans 13, where Paul gives all of these instructions to governing officials. Now, it's not that governing officials are actually reading his letter, but he's actually writing to the people that would be screening Paul's letters. It's very interesting when you read that, his letters with that lens on. He then goes to give some greetings. So he says, those are the guys that are coming to you. Now, there's some guys that are still stuck in prison with me, but they say, hey. So the first is Aristarchus here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner greets you. Now, Aristarchus, again, there's a backstory here. He'd been a longtime associate of Paul, longtime partner for the gospel. He was very faithful. He, he, he first met Paul in Macedonia, uh, and, and he was with Paul. We, we read of Aristarchus in the book of Acts. There was this great riot in Ephesus. It was very dangerous. Uh, Paul and all of his associates almost lost their lives, and Aristarchus was among him there. But he stood bravely for the Lord and he stood bravely with Paul. And now he's, he traveled with Paul down to Jerusalem and now he's traveled all the way to Rome. And here they are in prison together for the Lord. <laughs> this simple name, many of us don't, again, name our kids Aristarchus. But what a, what a faithful servant of the Lord. He then comes to Mark. Now this is another interesting story. Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. And then he says this. Now you think, well, what, what is this all about? He says, concerning these instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. Now, why would Paul say that? Okay, Mark, and we believe this is John Mark, who wrote the gospel of Mark. 
Mark was Barnabas's cousin, and he went with Paul and Barnabas on their very first missionary journey. If you've studied the book of Acts, you remember that they went off um, on this first great journey together from the church at Antioch, and God used them in these powerful ways. Now, they definitely came against trouble. And, and in one episode, and it, there's, the Bible doesn't give us a lot of detail here, but it just says that, that, that Mark, it, it calls him John Mark then, but John Mark deserted them. It's interesting. They've reached this trouble and, and John Mark goes back to Jerusalem. He kind of says, look, I'm tired of the trouble. I'm tired of all of this missionary trouble. I'm just going to go back home to Jerusalem. Okay, so, they, so Paul and Barnabas continue on in the journey. They have this amazing ministry. God uses them in these powerful ways. And then they're going off on their second missionary journey. Okay, so now Paul and Barnabas are going to go again on their second missionary journey. And this is interesting. Barnabas wants to take Mark. My cousin, he says, hey, I want to take Mark. He's my cousin. You know, I want to take him again. And Paul says, no, we can't take him. He deserted us. He deserted us last time. We cannot take him. And for that reason, Barnabas and Paul, I mean, these two amazing leaders, this was, you know, they were a pair. They were a pair that everybody uh, knew about. And they were divided, it's a very hard thing for them to go through. I mean, some of y'all experienced that. You ever experienced that where you have this great partner and for one reason or another, you, you know, you have to go in a different direction? It'd be very, very difficult. It'd be very, very challenging. And that's what happens here. And, and Mark was the reason for the divide. Now, the Lord used it. What was one great missionary force became two great missionary forces. Paul went his way. Barnabas went his way. The Lord used both of them. But the reason I bring all of this up there's history here. There's, there's a little bit of bad blood here, you could say this. But what does Paul say? He says, I don't know. He's basically saying this. I don't know what you've heard about Mark. But here's what I say now. If he comes to you, receive him, honor him, welcome him. What, this, what we can imply from all of this is that there has been reconciliation. Paul and Barnabas have reconciled. And, and even Paul and Mark, and now here they are, working for the Lord, in prison together in Rome. It's, it's actually just a beautiful story. And, and actually, would, I, I'd be remiss. I, I, there's somebody in here today, and there is a call that you need to make this afternoon. There's a letter you need to write. Thanksgiving, somebody you need to go to. And you need to say, hey, look, there's, there's, there's been some division between us. We don't have to rehash it, but I just want to say I recognize the evidence of God's grace in your life. I recognize what God's doing in your life. I'm grateful you're my brother. I'm grateful you're my sister in the Lord. We can learn a lot from this. He also sends greetings from Jesus. This is not the Jesus, but Jesus who is called Justice. Jesus was a, a common name back in those days. Jesus who is called Justice. Now, it's interesting what he says after this. He's talking about Mark and Jesus, who is called Justice. And he says, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. I think he's offering this as a lament. I think he's saying these are the only members of the circumcision. These are the only Jewish people who are now working with me for the kingdom of God. You know, Paul has this plague. It's interesting, Paul, because he has this big global ministry. He reaches all of these Gentiles. He has this big vision for reaching all of the nations and seeing all of the nations come to know Jesus as Lord and Messiah. But, he's, but he loves his, his own people. 
He, he always has this big heart for the Jewish people too. In fact, Romans 9, there's this amazing passage in Romans 9 where Paul basically says, look, I would be cut off. Let's, let's get it on the screen here. He says, look, if, I wish myself that I could be accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. You know what he's saying here? He's saying, look, <laughs> these Jewish people are rejecting their Messiah. And I myself would be cut off from God. I myself will endure the judgment of God if they could be saved. I love this about Paul. He, he has this big vision for who can be in the household of the Lord, but he, he, he also has this deep heart and love for his own people. And he laments that there are not more of them. He moves on then to Epaphras. Now, man, this guy really convicted me this week. Here's Epaphras, there in jail with Paul. And he says, Epaphras is one of you. <laughs> Epaphras is one of you. Now, scholars believe, a lot of scholars believe that actually Epaphras from Colossae was one of the founding ministers in this church at Colossae. And, and what they had done is sent him out as a missionary. Now, that's interesting, Okay. So just think about that, like in our context, we, here we are, we've started as a church, getting going, and you know, we, we, like Chris Wong, we, we sent him out, Chris Wong was not an elder here, but a faithful brother, we sent Chris Wong out, he's now serving in Paris, and I think about this, this is kind of what this church at Colossae has done, they say, let's advance the work, let's send uh, this worker out to go and, and advance the gospel, just in the same way Paul had been sent out, but of course, as it goes, faithful to the Lord. Now he's in prison along with Paul. But here's what was so convicting when I read about Epaphras this week. I love this. Here's Epaphras. He's gone and done all this other work, but he's there in this Roman prison. And here's what Paul says. He says, he greets you and he's always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. I love this. And here's what, here's what convicted me. How little I pray for the previous churches that I've pastored. <laughs> I've pastored a few churches before coming to Christ's covenant. I think, man, I, I, need to pray. I need to pray more for the other churches that I have left behind. I mean, I've entrusted those to other people, but man, I, I, it was convicting to me. Here's Epaphras. He's gone off to do other work, but he still remembers the people that he loved and ministered to at Colossae. And then the second thing that convicted me about it was his actual prayer. I love this prayer, and it makes me want to pray this for you. Here's his prayer that you may stand mature and be fully assured of the will of God. What a prayer. I mean, I, I, I have been praying for you this week since I read this, that we would be a church, we would be a people that are mature and fully assured in the will of God. Even when we don't understand the will of God, we don't necessarily feel like we agree with what God is doing we are assured that God is good and that his ways are right. That is a sign of maturity. What, what a pastoral prayer for his church here. From there, we meet uh, Luke. Uh, of course, he's not just praying for them. He's praying also for the churches in Herapolis and Laodicea. But there we meet Luke. Now, again, this is Luke. This is the gospel writer, Luke. He was known as the beloved physician, now, it's interesting, Luke. Uh, you know, Luke is, he, he did all of this research. He, of course, wrote the Gospel of Luke and he wrote the book of Acts. 
How much of us have been ministered to by these books that Luke wrote, these accounts that Luke gave? And what's so interesting about Luke, you know, if you've read the book of Acts, there's parts of the book of Acts where he's writing in the third person, where he's saying, you know, Paul did this, Paul did that. Most of the book of Acts is in the third person, but some of the book of Acts, Acts 16 in particular, Luke writes it in the first person, which means what? It means that during those times of the ministry, Luke was there along ministering with Paul and his companions. Luke, the beloved physician that God would use in this big way, also greets you. And he also sends word from Demas. Here's Demas. Now, we don't know a ton about Demas, but it's interesting. So Paul, this is probably early AD 60s. He would stay in that prison there in Rome until his eventual death. A few years later, he wrote the epistles to Timothy. If you've ever read Timothy, Paul feels old, you know, he feels old. It, it, uh, it's not that long after this, but it was a hard couple of years. You know. He's there in prison. He's, he's contending for the faith. He's trying to minister. He's praying for these people. And, and, and all, if, you've, if you've read 2 Timothy, it's all, this like, it's all this stuff like stay the course, like hold fast to the confession of faith, be a good soldier, flee lust, hold fast to scripture. And I can almost imagine Paul, this older minister, thinking about his ministry, thinking about his partners in the gospel, and thinking about all the folks that had been led away by one thing or another. You're thinking, man, well, lust got him. That guy gave up on scripture. That guy, the work got too hard, and he quit. And one of the guys that he mentions when he's, I can just imagine him thinking about this, is Demas. And he said, Demas, in 2 Timothy 10, in love with the present world has deserted me. In love with the present world has deserted me. It's an interesting story. It's an interesting epilogue. May it not be true of us. There's two other names that Paul mentions. Now, what's interesting about these names is they're not, um, they're not in Colossae. They're, they're Laodiceans. And again, Laodicea, that has its own sort of epilogue. I don't have time to go in this, but of course, Laodicea is the church in Revelation that Jesus says, you've, you're not hot for me. You're not cold against me. You've grown lukewarm and I'll spew you out of my mouth. They, they lost their faithfulness. But of course, here's Paul is greeting this church. He says, sends my greetings to them, to the church at Laodicea, to the brothers there, and to Nympha. Now, Nympha is the only woman in the list. Nympha in the church that is in her house. Now, we don't know a ton about Nympha. Um, some scholars think she could have been a widow. Uh, she could have just been a very astute businesswoman, had a large house that the church met in. It was interesting, Paul, when he first went to Macedonia, his first convert in Philippi was Lydia. Also a very astute, powerful woman who had, she was a businesswoman there in the region of Philippi. This could, this could be, again, we don't know the case with Nympha here, but, but nevertheless, here she is, likely an early convert in Colossae, likely a woman of means who's opened her house for the church to meet. And then he says, you know, this letter, when it's better read among you, um, give it to the Laodiceans, see that you read the, read the letter from Laodicea. And finally, he greets Archippus. Now, 
Archippus, we believe, was the pastor of this church in Nympha's house. So Nympha is hosting this church and he, and he gives instruction to the, the pastor, if you will, the senior pastor of the church at Laodicea. And one of the reasons we believe this is that he gives the same kind of instructions that he gives to Timothy all the time. Something like this, he says, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Be faithful in this ministry that God has called you. Be, be faithful in this ministry that God has called you. Again, there's an epilogue here and that Laodicea would not be faithful ultimately in the end, but such a great charge. Be faithful, fulfill the ministry, stay firm to the end, fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. And then of course he says, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. Remember my chains, grace be with you. A couple of observations, and we have baptisms today as you see, and I wanna make plenty of time for them. Uh, But I I think we can actually learn a lot from a text like this, just thinking about these stories. Three little things, and then we'll be done. And this will be quick. I'm not, I'm not, that was not all intro, don't worry. (laughs) This is just now conclusion. So I would say conclusion. First, the church is the people, right? The church is not the buildings. The church is not the, the, the people just on stage. No, the church is the people of God, that serve the Lord in all of these different ways. The church is the people. And of course, the church is not just a worship service. The church is the people of God using the gifts, being assigned by God, all of these different things to to make his glory known. Sometimes we gather, of course, we're gathering right now. But most of the time, we, we scatter. And we use the things that the Lord's entrusted to us to both serve and minister to one another, to advance the kingdom of Christ, and to see that the glory of Christ is known on earth. Let's always remember that the church is the people. Second, and I want you to hear this, your service, your service, no matter who you are, I want you to hear this, listen. Your service to the church, your service to the Lord is really important. Your service is really important. It's one of the things I love about the church. I love looking around right now. And, you know, I can see you and you and you and I... I see all these people that are serving God in all of these ways. And you're so good at it. You're so faithful at it. Thank you. Keep serving our Lord faithfully. Now think about our deacons. These guys, man, they do so much for our church. And we never see it. We don't know about it. They're they're like the names on this list that you don't really know that much about, but they're just... They're serving, they're they're taking care of ministry needs, they're making sure that we're all taken care of, they're making communion for us every week, what a job that is. Today, after we all leave here, we'll all be eating lunch some here. You know what'll be happening in this room? There'll be a deacon or two emptying this tub of water, carrying this thing away. I think of like all our committees. You know, a lot of work goes into all the things that we do as a church. People, they don't get paid for that. Think of all our lay elders that just faithfully love and serve our church. I even think of our staff, you know, all of our staff. These are such talented folks. They could make a lot more money somewhere else, but they, no, they're called to the people of God. They want to serve the people of God. Think about all the volunteers with our children. I see so many of you in the room wearing your awesome shirts. Just, just loving on children, giving yourself to see that the people of God go forward, that, that the word of God would grow. Some of you are group leaders that you, you, you host a group in your home every week. What a job. Thank you for that. That, that. that service, I want you to hear this. 
It's those little things that we do. You know, sometimes our service, it goes unseen by the masses, but it doesn't go unseen by God. And it's the kind of things that God uses to really advance his church and really grow his church. And, and related to this, and I'm getting this from Francis Schaeffer, who wrote a book of the same title, and I just want you to hear the essence of it. There are no little people. There's no little people. He, he wrote, God distinguishes people as good and evil, good in Christ or evil in our sin. That's how God distinguishes people, but not great and small not recognized or overlooked, not struggling or accomplished, not strong or fragile. No, it's, God doesn't distinguish people on greatness or smallness or on how much we're struggling or how strong we are. No, the key is faithfulness. Are you faithful to do the things that God has called you to do? Are you faithful where God has placed you? Are you stewarding what God has called you to do well? Are you, are you serving faithfully? Are you serving faithfully? Are you giving your lives to others faithfully? You know, for some of you in the room, you say, when he's thanking all these servants, I don't know how much I do. Well, that, that's a challenge to you. Have you, have, you, have you gone away from faithfulness here? Are you, are you seeing your importance in the kingdom of God? No, there's no little people. There's no little things. Everything that we're doing, let's just be faithful in it. There's not one thing more important than the other because it's not about us. It's about what the Lord is doing through us. And you know, this makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. You know, the Bible says that God has chosen the foolish things of the world, the small things, the things that are not to shame the wise. There, there's something about that. There's something about that. I want you to hear that. You may be faithful in one little area and you're like, man, is anybody seeing this? Is this doing anything? <laughs> Am I really making a difference here? You, you may be, even, even in what you're doing as a witness, as an ambassador, I'm in this neighborhood, I'm in this workplace, I'm trying to be a witness. Is, is God actually using this? Is, is this actually doing anything? You know, I'm trying to give. You know, I, I'm not rich like that guy. Is my little gift, is it being used by the Lord? And the answer is yes, yes, yes. There's no little people. There's no little gift. There's no little act of service. There's no little place. And isn't this how the Lord works? You know, when Jesus came to earth, you know where he went? Did he go to Rome? Was he the emperor? No. He was born in a carpenter's household in this obscure place called Nazareth on the outskirts of everything among the weak Hebrew people. That's where Jesus intersected with the world. You know, if you're a Christian, this makes a lot of sense to you. you know, when did Jesus intersect with you? Was it when you were strong? Was it when you were on top of the world? Was it when you got the award for person of the year in Time Magazine? Is that when Jesus was most real to you? No. It's... It's when you were weak. It's when you felt small. That's where Jesus met you and turned you around. And that's what he always has this way of doing. Don't despise the small things. There's just no little people. There's no little assignment. The, the church is the people. And when we scatter and when we're faithful in all of these things that we're called to do, God is at work and good things happen. And his kingdom advances in ways that we will only know when we are with the Lord one day, worshiping him face to face. You know, I can't think of a better way to end our service than to hear some baptism stories and be a part of baptism. We're going to do that. 
First, we're going to sing, but first, I want to pray for you. And just pray that, that this would be true in our lives. I mean, even this week, we're going to scatter and be a part of Thanksgiving. And, you know, you know, being kind to Aunt Flossie, even though she can be so consternate and so cruel and so stupid, and loving her and realizing God has sent me as an ambassador for the Lord to this woman. There's no, little, there's no little people. There's no little assignment. Let's be faithful. Let's pray. Father, I pray for your church today. I pray like Epaphras prayed, that we would stand firm in the will of God, that we would be assured of your will. Father, I pray... Again, like a Epaphras, Lord, I pray earnestly that we would that not forsake the small things that you've asked us to do. We would not, like Demas, be so in love with this present age that we fail to see the, the more wondrous and glorious things that you are doing. Father, give us the, the eyes heart of Jesus. Help us to see the world as he does. Father, remove our, uh, our enamor with the big and grand and, and help us, Lord, just to be enamored by you. And if that's big and grand, help us be faithful in that, not be taken away by those things. And if that's small and little, Help us to not feel like we're too good for that. Be faithful. Lord, build your church in this word. Thank you for the encouragement that these dear saints bring to us. May they point us to faith in Jesus. May their faith in Jesus and their love for Jesus point us to faith in Jesus. This is his name I pray. Amen.